0: Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Welcome to The Shaleen Show. Just a heads up before we start, I want you to know that in this show today we discuss self-harm, gender identity, suicide ideation, anxiety, and much more. So please take care while listening. While you might think that this episode is just for those people who are parents of teens or young adults, this episode is for all of us. You certainly know someone who has a teen or a young adult who's struggling. Maybe it's someone you work with, maybe it is a niece or a nephew or a friend's child. Either way, I think by being informed and hearing from the parents who are going through this, it'll give you a deeper understanding and an empathy. And if nothing else, I hope that it will help you to be there for someone else, to lend your support, to try to imagine yourself in their shoes. And most importantly, I recorded this episode because I know so many of you in the audience are struggling with this. And I want you to know that you're not alone. And I want you to hear from others who've been through this. And I want you to hear from a few experts. So let's get to it. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Organifi. I don't know if you can hear this. That's my water bottle. It is loaded with Organifi goodness. I'm currently drinking a mix of ice water, mixed with Organifi Pure and Organifi Immunity. Those are my go-tos. I have probably two or three servings of those a day. I drink the Pure because it really helps with my cognition. It helps with mental focus. I drink the Organifi Immunity for exactly what you think. My immune system. It bolsters your immune system. It's great support on a daily. It has antiviral, antifungal, and antibacterial support and clinically proven beta-glucan. Organifi is constantly coming out with new products to provide you with the nutritional supplement that you need. And all of their products are easy to mix with water, so it makes consumption that much easier. No need to take a pill, a capsule, or even chew a gummy. Because the Organifi products, you mix them with water, it's probably going to increase your water consumption. And Frankly, we should all be drinking more water. Organifi is offering lifers 20% off of all products when you use code Shalene. So go to Organifi. It's O R G A N I F I dot com forward slash Shalene. Again, it's O R G A N I F I dot com forward slash Shalene for your 20% off. You won't be disappointed. We all know that being a young adult, being a teenager, can be super tumultuous. But did you know that half of all mental health conditions emerge by age 14? And on top of the regular stressors and angst that goes along with being in school, with relationships, with figuring out who you are, teens and young adults today have even more uncertainty and the pressures of social media to contend with. The mental health of young people over the last year and a half to two years has frankly dive bombed. Young people report feeling more disconnected and more anxious with generalized anxiety, self-harm, suicide ideation, suicide attempts skyrocketing in 2021. And now with schools opening back up with young people returning to college and entering the workforce, mental health challenges are at an all time high. Psychologists and social workers report that depression and attempts for suicide were far greater in the last year than they've ever seen them before. And sadly, there's a much higher demand for psychological services than the supply can meet. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that the mental health of young people definitely has an impact on the families in which they belong to, especially the parents. I want to encourage you to go to our show notes. You will find those at shaleen.com and then just click on the podcast tab. There we'll have resources for suicide prevention, contact information for Dr. Michaela Sarno and additional resources that I hope you'll find helpful. Today, you'll be hearing from those parents. You'll be hearing from people who've been through it, people who are in the midst of it. And you'll be hearing from experts like a friend of the show, licensed psychologist and EMDR specialist, Dr. Michaela Sarno.
2: We're at a time right now where teen depression, teen anxiety, teen suicide is at an all-time high. And as a parent, it can feel very scary. And you can feel very alone. You're not.
1: I ask parents to share with me in their own words what it is they've been dealing with. I invite you to share your message with me by going to shaleen.com. Forward slash podcast, there you'll see a little widget that allows you to leave a voicemail message. You can do so anonymously if you'd like. You'll have up to four minutes to speak. And always, I recommend that people try to jot down a few ideas before calling just to help you organize your thoughts. I want to thank each and every one of you for sharing such honesty and transparency because I know it's going to help others.
0: It's been a roller coaster. She's been diagnosed recently with bipolar. She had ADHD, very impulsive, struggled in elementary school, middle school, high school with friends.
3: He has huge anxiety issues, He has anger issues. You know, my son also struggles with his sexuality. He has an eating disorder.
4: He will not seek help. We've tried a few times and it's just, it's failed miserably. My daughter who's 17 now dealt with crippling anxiety.
5: We're not out of the woods. She's attempted multiple times in the last 18 months. So we're not out of the woods.
6: Sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and check on him and make sure that he's okay. I literally walk up to his bed and like make sure he's breathing. I'm constantly checking his location when he leaves the house because I'm worried about like maybe he's gonna go out and hurt himself. Worrying if I'm gonna wake up and find him dead in the morning.
1: When a child falls ill, It's not uncommon for communities to rally together, you know, parents to ask other people to pray for them. It can galvanize a whole community and pull them together to make certain that the child receives the best possible care. You will see Kickstarters and GoFundMe campaigns. But when a child has a psychiatric disorder or is struggling with their mental health, sadly, the experience is very different for parents. Unlike many physical illnesses, when a child has a mental health issue or a mental health crisis, it can put incredible strain on the parents. Parents can feel like there's shame surrounding it or that other people will blame them or not understand. We know that mental health issues can make the young adult feel completely isolated, but it can also alienate and isolate the family members from their community, their friends, and oftentimes even each other. Sometimes parents can disagree about the diagnosis and the type of treatment that a child needs. And as a parent, all you want to do is fix your child. One parent may become obsessed with helping the child, while the other one might feel left out and discouraged. And the result can often be a family that is inflicted with mental health. While today we are talking about problems related to anxiety and social pressures, self-harm, suicide ideation, and gender identity. It is also critical for parents of a child who has a serious psychiatric disorder, even like ADHD, autism, or OCD, to make sure that they are getting appropriate evidence-based treatment as soon as possible and to make sure that they know support is out there, help is out there you need to know that you're not alone but for those of us who are there to support our friends and family members who are going through this we have to understand how alone these parents can feel and how important it is for us as people who love them and care for them to reach out to them to let them know that they are not alone to listen what does it
6: feel like as a parent when your child is struggling it's hard you can't help them it's a mental health disease you want to see them happy and you want to see them normal and you want to see them stable and enjoying life
4: but they just can't seem to do that and as a parent it definitely was all-encompassing for me it greatly affected my own mental health
3: Um, it feels hopeless it feels powerless It feels debilitating to watch your kids suffer like that. I felt anxiety myself. I took on some of the, I think, ways that she was feeling. And I stuffed and stuffed and stuffed. And then now it's kind of all bubbling out.
7: It feels like you're helpless, but you are also in fight mode because you are wanting to help support your child as much as possible. It takes its toll on your mental health, greater than anybody will probably ever admit. For me, it has taken its toll on my mental health immensely. My husband often says it kills you a little bit every time there's an incident, a little piece of you dies. And it's the truth because my son is my oldest, my firstborn. And when he is having an episode or something doesn't go the way that I hope it to go, it is very emotional and I struggle greatly. It is all-encompassing. And it also takes its toll on my other children.
1: Many parents shared with me that the signs, they noticed signs in their child at a very young age, peculiar behaviors, obsessive behaviors, things at the time they might have just chalked up to the child being unique or special, even sensitive, that they now realize were probably some of the precursors of the anxiety that showed up in their teen and young adult years
0: she had an aversion to foods, and not just being a picky eater, literally the sight of certain foods would make her vomit. And then we also noticed she would have issues with clothing. So she had like sensory issues where like she could not wear a turtleneck or if a shirt or sweater like zipped up around her neck, like anything like that or tags had to be removed. She had like heightened sensory issues. Going a little bit more into elementary school, we noticed that she was very hyperactive and would get together and play with other kids and they would all be excited, but then she would not know when to slow down. And that excitement, like jumping up and down with your friends, like holding hands, she would take it where it would be almost aggressive and she didn't know when to stop.
7: When he was a little boy, he was very... Very, not shy, but he had a lot of anxiety when he was little. Anxiety about playing with kids, anxiety about being around other people. And it wasn't really normal shyness. It was, these kids are going to laugh at me when he was two and three years old. My daughter was extremely afraid of
4: people vomiting since a little age, maybe six, seven years old, to the point where she would get out of a moving car if she saw that someone wasn't feeling well and could potentially be sick. And then it manifested physically, where she was unable to eat in fear that she would be sick. Further spiraled into social anxiety and having issues with
1: going to school and just interacting with peers in general. But once your young child becomes a teenager, aren't they supposed to want to create some distance between you and them, isn't this the age when they're trying to spread their wings? And how do we know the difference between a teen who's trying to establish their own identity and create some autonomy and a young adult who's truly struggling?
6: Isolation, when they decide that they don't want to come out of their room, their moods change, their grades change. Their level of activity changes, their attitude changes. They become more sullen
3: and moody. Early warning sign for me was Jaw wearing clothes to cover up the cutting, hiding in a room.
7: My biggest warning sign was had a lot of anxiety when he was little. Anxiety about playing with kids, anxiety about being around other people. And it wasn't really normal shyness. It was these kids are going to laugh at me when he was two and three years old. I don't want to sing that song because it's embarrassing when he was very, very little. Things that were not normal behavior for kids his age.
2: Early warning signs,
7: I would say, I just thought he was just a normal teen, having his
2: issues. You know, as a teenage, my girls were not this way necessarily. He's my youngest, but he just came a little bit more withdrawn and sullen. But again, it was COVID in the mix of it. So it was kind of hard to know.
1: And then there's the guilt that comes with being a parent. And regardless of how you try to rationalize things or the logic that you apply, you just often feel responsible for your loved ones and you can't help but ask yourself and wonder, did I cause this? Could I have prevented this? Is this somehow my fault? Parents wonder if they're to blame for their child's challenges. Because, for example, maybe they were an addict, or maybe they worked a lot, or or maybe they went through a divorce, or maybe they wonder if there was something that they did or didn't do in their child's early development. And unfortunately, society often reinforces this parental guilt. Well-meaning family members might make comments like, well, if you were stricter, if you had been home, if you hadn't gone through that divorce, maybe this wouldn't be happening. And then there are the parents who have experienced their own anxiety or psychiatric illness. And it's no surprise that they might wonder if they've passed these genes on to their affected child. Siblings can feel guilty, wondering if they tease too much. Feelings of guilt about whether or not mental illness is someone's fault is very common. It's deeply uncomfortable. And it is so uncomfortable that people rarely talk about it.
2: It's very all-encompassing for me. I kind of stay-at-home mom that i feel like his outcome is my responsibility not necessarily healthy but it's definitely impacting my mental health big time big time very
7: very depressed i feel guilt every day i still cope every day i think that's the part that kills me the most is that i feel so guilty for not being knowledgeable enough enough to help him when he was younger trying to think about the things that maybe i did wrong that changed the Trajectory of his life, hoping that my guilt doesn't kill me, hoping my guilt doesn't, you know, really impact my other kids. I absolutely blamed myself and felt guilt.
4: Her father and I were drug addicts when she was younger. So she constantly saw us sick, unwell, tired. She's still very triggered by me being tired at all. And I'm sure that's just bringing back those memories for her. So I absolutely feel that guilt. You feel like you failed as a parent.
2: Dr. Michaela Sarno on the assignment of guilt. First and foremost, you want to not blame. You don't want to start looking for whose fault it is. And last thing you want to do is getting into, you know, heated arguments or discussions with your spouse or with others and start the blame game. You're where you're at and your focus is now what are our next steps?
1: There's a mountain of data, research that clearly shows that psychiatric disorders, mental illness is often caused by a combination of experiential or environmental factors. And of course, there's a genetic vulnerability, there are genetic factors involved, but none of the individual contributing factors are sufficient enough on their own, experts say, to be able to pinpoint the cause of mental illness. In most cases, it's a combination of these effects. Of course, made worse by all of the uncertainty in the last year, made worse by the influence of social media. It's really important to remember, though, that no one life experience on its own typically causes mental illness. It's normal for parents to feel guilty about their child's struggles and wonder if they could have prevented, if they could have been better parents. But it's important to remember that there is no such thing as perfect parenting. And even if you were the perfect parent, Who's to say that you are the perfect parent for this very specific and unique child? Even the perfect parent can't prevent mental illness. So it's really important to recognize that we have limited control over many of the things that happen to us throughout our lives and that happen to our loved ones. All that we can do is do our best.
6: I have not felt guilt or blame myself, to be honest, because I know that A mental health issue and nobody can be blamed for it. It's just something that happens.
0: I will tell you from the bottom of my heart and my core that I have no guilt or shame of any of this because... Is I stepped in. I didn't ignore the problem. I gave her as many tools as I could to help her get through it. We seeked therapy. We sent her away for a little bit. Like I did all the things that I could think of that would help her have success in life.
1: I think it goes without saying that social media has positives and a lot of potential negatives. I mean, a podcast is an example of social media. And I hope, I hope, I pray. That you see it as a positive example, but there are so many negative ones that have impacted the mental health of our young people, especially during the pandemic. I mean, many young people were faced with solace or community, and they turned to heavy social media use to connect. And that heavy use has been linked to the negative well being and declining self esteem of young people and their mental state. With girls experiencing the worst decline in depression and feelings of hopelessness. Research of over 5,000 young people conducted by the Millennium Cohort Study found that a decrease in family income, exercise, and poor maternal mental health contributed to the mental health condition of our young people. There's no question that social media has become a double edged sword. With young Americans using social media, to address and understand the mental health issues caused by social media. A study conducted by Common Sense Media found that while social media can affect a young person's mental health, including more exposure to hateful rhetoric like racism, sexism, body shaming, young people use social media to find their community, to belong. Young people are going through these periods in their lives right now as we're coming out of the pandemic, that is so crucial to their development. And it's tumultuous. I mean, even in the best of times, even if there wasn't all this chaos and uncertainty, it's still a really difficult period of time to go through. And unfortunately, social media has allowed young people to connect over their anxiety, depression, and struggles with their gender and sexual identity. For many young people, more time at home, especially during The pandemic and the lockdown meant more time glued to their screens. Social distancing meant that they were limited on the amount of contact that they had socially with real people in real life. Feelings of loneliness and isolation coupled with our desire for dopamine, our desire for happiness and our desire for connectedness leads many young adults to find communities that aren't always in their best interest online.
7: I'm a parent of a child who struggled with social media all throughout middle school and high school. She's now 22, and it led to her having addictions that included cocaine, alcohol, sex. I do believe social media had a big part with it in the sense that he began searching and looking and finding out answers
2: for what he was feeling, and he did not share those with us. He just started looking on his own to get his own answers and now he's friend group and is now his family that he's choosing because they affirm his decision to be a girl.
4: Social media played a huge role in her anxiety. Snapchat, Instagram, comparing, just seeing the constant interactions with people. She couldn't turn it off once she got home from school if she did end up actually being able to go to school. She was bullied. She's a beautiful, tall, gorgeous girl and girls can be rough.
3: Social media, I feel like like rumors are spread or bullying, so I do think it has a play in it.
1: So, what do you do as a parent? I mean, every kid is on their phone. Every kid is like, "Mom, everybody's on Instagram. Everybody's on YouTube. I need my phone. I need to be on social media." How do you balance being the parent with this thing that seems like something they've grown up with something that they quote unquote need we've all seen the morning shows with you know kind of unrealistic advice of how to manage these things with your teens or advice from clinicians which is great but what advice do the parents have the parents who've been through this the hardest parts of it My advice for somebody that has a struggling
0: teen right now, or you're worried that there's some risky behavior going on, or your intuition is going off, you need to step in. I mean, I recommend even stepping in before it becomes a problem, if you know your child suffers from anxiety or depression or ADHD, like stepping in at a younger age makes this so much easier. So we had access to all of Maddie's social media devices, her login and her password, because we owned those devices at a very young age. And when we did find out that there was some things going on, her phone would come to us every night before she would go to bed and listen. I'm not naive. There probably was some secret devices at some point. Kids will try to get away with whatever they can. So you just can't trust them. But you just have to do all you can. And they're gonna tell you you're crazy. She's gonna tell you or he that my friends think you're crazy. I didn't care. I do not care what her friends thought of me. I was trying to protect her from making a decision that she couldn't come back from. We even had to put alarms on our house to keep her in. We live in a really nice neighborhood, it's very safe, but we had to keep our child in. So you just have to take whatever measures you can to protect them. And yes, they're gonna be mad, they're gonna get frustrated, but you just have to be calm and just stick to whatever you say. And then last thing I wanna say is that I know It's so important. We get so sidetracked and all we can focus on are all the wrong things they're doing, the mistakes they're making, the bad grades, their choices of friends. And that's all really quick, I want to say this too, about friends. You have to be super careful about what you're saying about their friends because that's so hurtful because this is one thing that Maddie had to at one point tell me is you're telling me I'm hanging around kids that are bad She's like, they're me. I'm that same person. So you're basically calling your kid bad. You're just, you need to reword it where I don't want you hanging around kids that aren't making the best of choices because all kids are good. They're just trying to figure out how to navigate in this crazy world. And just remember to find the little tiny things that they're doing good. Whether that be like, thanks for hanging up your jacket, just the small little tiny things. They are needing some positive reinforcement in their life. They have so much negative coming from everywhere. So you need to give them some positive
1: support and give them hugs and give them love. Dr. Michaela has a unique perspective as a mother of a teen herself who treats families and teens with EMDR intensives and family therapy. Her perspective on social media and the influence that we expose these young adults to is of critical importance
2: look at all the influence in their life, whether it's from friends, whether it's from the school that they attend, and especially whether it's online. And your teen probably isn't going to like this, but one of the best things you can do for your teen is to eliminate as many things online, online access that you possibly can. They're always going to have that ability to get online, especially in school. And on their phones, they're going to need their phones when they go to school, depending on the age. So it's really difficult to eliminate that, but you want to eliminate and go into the settings and eliminate Discord, eliminate Reddit, eliminate Tumblr, TikTok, and YouTube, believe it or not, and all the influence because it's the influence that's feeding into that. And it may be the influence that really prompted all of this to begin with.
1: I hope I now there's someone who's come to mind that you realize they may be experiencing something far more serious than what they've shared with you. Maybe it's a friend or family member, someone who you know from your church. I hope that you'll think of them and send them this episode, just letting them know that you're there for them, that you understand, that you want to be a non-judgmental, open ear, someone who can support them. But when hearing from those parents who've gotten through this very, very difficult, sometimes seemingly endless season, unanimously, they all said it was finding the right team of professionals that helped get them through this. It's not just one therapist. It's not just one trusted professional. It's a team. And it's a team effort as a family as well. It's not an easy fix. The first therapist that you find might not be the right one. In their own words, here's what parents said helped the most. Therapy.
4: 100% therapy. We did exposure therapy, behavior therapy. We were fortunate enough to be eligible for family-based therapy. She did have a few inpatient hospitalizations and outpatient hospitalizations as well, and those definitely
7: helped. What helped a lot is therapy and medication. But I would say that therapy has been the utmost help to us. It's the thing that has helped us the greatest, even though now he's kind of reluctant to go. I think what helped her
3: through the second suicide attempt with pills, we really got her into counseling,
1: and that really helped. And I don't want to paint a perfect picture. This isn't going to be easy. Finding the right therapist is difficult. It's another individual. And while you might make a connection with a therapist, your child may not.
3: We had one Zoom call and the therapist, you know, my son wouldn't go on the Zoom call. And my therapist said, oh, I think this is going really well. And my son sat on the other side of my phone and mouthed, fuck you. And I looked at the therapist and I'm like, yeah, this is going great.
2: So now you're on the hunt for a therapist and finding the right therapist can be a journey. My advice is you really want to separate yourself from what your teen might tell you, such as, mom, all I need is this. I need some time alone or I need to just be with my friends right now. I just need this or I just need that. Here's where you want to separate yourself a little bit from listening too much to what your teen thinks he or she or they need. They may be very against medications. They may be very against going to see a therapist. They may be against going to a a three-day outpatient uh, group therapy with other teens. But this isn't the time to be friends or to befriend your teen necessarily. This is where you need to step aside from being that friend and be their parent and make decisions and do things that they may not agree with it's also a time to not take things personally. You may read things your teen has written, they may say things to you that will hurt, but it's not a time to take things personally. Teens will often say later on, you know, a year later, two years down the line, mom, I was only 14, I didn't really mean it. I was 12 years old, mom, what do you expect? I was 16, mom, I didn't mean what I said. So we can't take things personally. And you want to be very proactive with the therapist that you meet. You know, just schedule a session with that therapist alone first. Before you go in with your teen, find out about their theoretical approach. Find out about their values, what their strategies are. Find out what they stand for. Find out their experience working with teens in this area. This is where you're really going to want to do your homework. You don't want to be in it alone with your kid. In fact, you want to get as many Clinicians on board and aware of the problem as possible. Get them into treatment. There's mental health treatment outpatient programs that are, you know, three hours a day, three days a week, five days a week. Because if your child is struggling with anxiety or depression, you don't know that there's suicide ideation or not. And sometimes our teens will tell us this and sometimes they won't. But it can easily move into suicide ideation if the problem continues to persist.
1: Listen. I just want to commend you on making it to this point in the episode. I know it's difficult. This is a really hard, very raw, very transparent episode. Again, I just can't thank these parents enough for being honest with what they're going through because this is something many parents struggle with in silence, anonymously. If our child is struggling, we're just conditioned to believe that if our child is struggling, it must be something that we've done. It's a reflection on us. And that misplaced shame and the silence that surrounds it means the people who need our support aren't getting the support that they need. So I really wanted this episode to feel like you just stepped into the best support group you could ever imagine, where you get to listen anonymously and the parents who've been through this can share their best advice with you anonymously. Things will get better. They may never be perfect. It may take longer than what you'd like, but things will get better. And here's some of the best advice from the people who know firsthand that you're going to make it through.
3: You have to get to a point where you have to look after your mental health, your well-being, and your other children's, and your relationship. You know, sometimes I didn't have the best coping mechanisms, like I would drink too much wine or well, I'd just check out with... You know, Netflix or whatnot. So now I'm really starting to talk about it more. And I am seeking therapy for myself as well, because I realize I need to be able to talk to somebody about it. What helped or is helping
6: my child through this rough time? Therapy. Medication. Having people to talk to. Alerting his school to let them know what he's going through so they can keep an eye on him for warning signs. Encouraging him to spend time with people who are positive and happy making sure that he is taking his medication, making sure that he has his weekly therapy sessions, touching base with the therapist, just to make sure that
3: there's no big things to be worrying about. My whole theory right now is I don't always have to be right. I just want to be connected. So I just feel like there's any opportunity I can connect with her. And I just never stopped going into her room, trying to pray with her be with her, walk with her, drive with her, just along her journey. I was just in it even when she felt like she didn't have anybody or she couldn't do it anymore. I just kept showing up. So just keep trying, keep in there with them. That's what they need. Don't
7: guess that you know what is happening. Ask for help. Ask for advice. Seek out specialists. Seek out people that are you know quote-unquote experts read books talk and get into therapy yourself do not give up don't give up
6: keep trying medications keep trying therapists keep trying to find activities that make them happy you know things that make my son happy he likes to go out and hike the trails or ride ride his dirt bike on those trails that makes him happy spending time with his friends going to the movies. You know, things that they really enjoy, put a focus on that, and that will help them.
4: Utilize resources. If your child has anxiety or depression, they qualify for Medicaid. At least in Pennsylvania, they do, and I know that's the case in other states. A world of resources opens up for your child once they qualify for that. That's how we qualified for the family-based therapy. That therapy changed our lives, changed my life, changed my ex-husband's life. It is through an organization where therapists come into your home two, three days a week. They're available for crisis situations at the drop of a hat, 24 hours a day. They work with the entire family because as we all know, addiction is a family disease. So all of my children were affected by it, but also are able to help her siblings who were traumatized by her anxiety. They were able to express their feelings about that and get help also. So my other words of encouragement are that you will get through this. This is a season in your in your child's life and just listen to them. We don't always need to give them advice or fix the problems, but we need to be
2: there to listen. The more anxious you look, it just feeds into your teen's anxiety. Even if you have to fake it, you want to send that message to your teen that you hear, that you understand that there is this problem and that you are going to do everything that you can to help them through it and that you will get through it. So you want to really send that message of confidence. Even if you're not feeling fully confident, you want to send them that message because they're looking to you for help. And of course, that's the next thing you want to do is get help. You don't want to be in it alone with your kid. In fact, you want to get as many clinicians on board and aware of the problem as possible. You don't want to overdo it, but you want to get their family doctor or a therapist, get them into treatment. There's mental health treatment outpatient programs that are, you know, three hours a day, three days a week, five days a week. Because if your child is struggling with anxiety or depression, you don't know that there's suicide ideation or not. And sometimes our teens will tell us this and sometimes they won't but it can easily move into suicide ideation if the problem continues to persist. So you want to get experts involved so that you're not in this alone. You need, and what's best for you as the parent is, you need to make sure you've got your own support system, whether it's your friends or whether it's a therapist for yourself, someone to help you maintain your sanity while you're going through all of this and so that you know how you can best interact with your teen and to support them during this time be consistent be strong and just know you're going to get through this
5: stay connected to your kids friends that is paramount and to the degree you can watch for patterns of what they're doing what they're talking about what they're listening to I saw in the case of my daughter, her Spotify playlist was some very dark stuff when she is actually called when I'm thinking about the end of life. And that was a clue to me to be more closely connected to what was going on. So those are a couple of things that I wish I'd have known is to see the patterns more closely, to be aware of her friends and what they were noticing. And then I think as far as... How this could be an encouragement to your faith, prayer truly does change things. We reached out when our daughter attempted and had thousands praying, and God did a miracle. And it doesn't always do that. I will encourage you with that or discourage you. I don't know, but He is a miracle-working God, and prayer does make a difference. And there are days when it's dark, and there's days when we're like, not again. But God is always god And he brings light, even when we're not expecting it, on our darkest days. And I want to encourage you with that, that God is seated on his throne. He is a giver of life. He is a lover of life. He is a lover of your child. Stay tight with your spouse. Don't let this divide you. You've got to unite together in prayer. And people that you trust, invite them to come alongside you. And it's going to be a a long journey but through prayer and with the wisdom of counselors the wisdom of doctors there's always another part of the story it's not just a despairing of life there is a medical condition potentially there's other things going on so be on the lookout and lean heavily into the lord he is your strength he is your refuge he is your rock